Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. This audio edition is created in conjunction with partners as part of our Market Voice series. Well, this conversation is likely to disturb your thinking. On the mics today is a man which, as a customer of a major retailer, was treated as a woman. But we also have a woman on the mics who can fix that customer problem. If you're confused, you won't be for long. We're going to dive into the world of AI and how smarter tech for marketing, brands and corporate custodians of the customer is quickly shifting the game from what used to be all the rage, building a 360 view of customers. That's all but dead if my learned panellists today are right, and we're going to hear why that is the case for supermarkets, banks, department stores, and even pizza chains, who are creating four-dimensional views of their customer. What the hell is that, I hear you say? Well, we're about to find out, but in a nutshell, it's connecting up every customer channel, customer touchpoint, and interaction, from e-commerce to call centres to websites, apps, and physical retail stores via augmented reality, with real-time AI and critically important customer consent systems. It's flipping much of what's been done around legacy CRM and CX thinking. So with us today is SAP's Senior Director in Customer Experience and Data Management, Sharish Shrin- He's the woman who's not a woman I referenced earlier. Uh, And Geraldine McBride, founder of New Zealand-based AI firm MyWave, which is doing some pretty interesting stuff in an intelligent personalization around customers that's automated. MyWave has seen 200% improvements in marketing efficiency, sales increases of up to 30%, and 20% reductions in customer churn. Apart from a stellar career in the IT sector as president and CEO for SAP North America and a Australia before that. Geraldine is a board director for NAB, Sky Television in New Zealand and Fisher and Paykel Healthcare. So settle in for perhaps a brain bending but business enhancing conversation. Welcome to you both and Sharish we might start with you uh, and your gender actually. A retailer you rate got that wrong. It's a light hearted anecdote I know Sharish but a real one for many of the things for where customer experience personalization and focus is still inherently struggling. So in a nutshell, Sharish, give us what's the problem and why are you a woman but you're not a woman? What's going on? <laughs> great, great one to start with. Yeah, it's my favorite uh, customer story and I always bring it up and keep those emails with me to show it to any customer I'm speaking to of customer experience versus customer expectation. Now, very simple, very easy. Gender could be easy as, but uh, in reality, one of the famous retailers here in Australia has got it wrong. And they keep sending me campaigns about cosmetics, about uh, makeup tutorials, and all sorts of uh, non-male gender-related campaign uh, materials. Now, this could have been greatly fixed by a simple question to me about what is my gender at any stage during the interaction that I'm going through with the business. But unfortunately, they have made some assumptions on the back of my purchase history. And they have deduced that because I've made some purchases for my wife, that I am a female. And then they are on the back of that, making these campaigns and these recommendations to me, which are totally misaligned. So this is a classic example of customer expectations versus the customer experience, which we're seeing on the back of uh, assumptions being made by business rather than just the transparent 
request and collection of that information from the consumer. And it's quite widespread, I imagine, Sharish. This is your point, though. It's just not a, that's not a blip on the radar. Your experience is either a woman or a metrosexual, one of those two. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's like I've got a classic example. One of my work colleagues, his name is Andrea. Now, Andrea, he is a he again, but unfortunately, as always considered as a female, and the recommendations being made to that individual is on the back of that name uh, and our purchase history or these assumptions being made by these businesses rather than just that classic example of collecting that information from that individual and then catering to that individual's needs or requirements. These underlying assumptions you talk about, about Sharish, um, so how, how should they be done? How companies should be doing things differently? And I think this is getting to the crux of where we're headed this conversation. How should it be done better? What should be done? And the scenario there I think you talk about, uh, we'll get to in a second, is what the ABC is doing, which you think is actually a good benchmark for how other companies should be on this journey. But but give us the the initial sense on, um, on, on how things should be done. What's the problem here? Totally. The companies need to be mindful about how how they engage with customers during the data collection process, from opt-in language, privacy communication, to personalized strategies and customer rewards for data sharing. Uh, we need to make sure that it's an overall positive impact for the customer and poor execution and lack of transparency can always have a negative reaction. Re- referring to the ABC example, I'm sure we've all seen the adverts and the radio broadcasts on the about the iView accounts. So they're going through this complete exercise of talking about why customers should create their accounts, what is the information they want to collect, and how they want to use that information to make the customer's experience uh, richer. And this is a classic example of being that transparent and having that conversation with the customer of value exchange as to give me something to make my service to you better and make your experience with my service better. So it's an exchange which can be done in a transparent manner rather than through assumptions, through cookies, through harvesting of data, very transparent, progressive information capture, which can then be used to make the experience better for a a retailer customer or a media customer travel, et cetera. Got it. And we'll get to some of the the findings on that gap, I guess, between customer expectations uh, of what a company says it's going to deliver and actually the experience of it. You've got some interesting studies there, we'll, we'll, uh, some surveys or research there. We'll get to that, Sharish. But to Geraldine, I, I asked Sharish um, the same thing. What's the problem around current approaches to customer personalization and experience and, of course, business improvement and growth? What's your take on this, Geraldine? What's not happening and why? Well, I think that it is a mindset issue in businesses today. And and a good example of this is that a lot of people have been um, beating the drum in the last decade on we need to have a 360-degree view of a customer. The challenge with this whole notion of a view is that you're not able to create a smart interaction. All I'm going to do is I'm going to use that data of what I'm finding out about you and I'm going to put some propensity analysis over it to try and tell you what I think you need to have. And it's not actually asking or checking in with you on even things like Suresh talked about in terms of, you know, are you a male or a female? So it's predicated on the view that I'm going, I know who you are and I'm going to tell you what, you know, you should be buying or what you should be thinking or what you should be doing next. But that that whole notion of that 4D customer interaction, which is what you opened up uh, today's uh, discussion with, is now that we're using all facets of data and the customer, which is Suresh, is an active participant in that. 
And this is where you can start to use conversational AI as an example, where you're at, you're dynamically interacting with that customer to learn more about them. And you're not capturing their data, but they're sharing more about themselves with the brand because there is a benefit to actually sharing more about you because you're going to get a better outcome or a smarter set of product recommendations or a better, more personalized uh, experience. And that's where most smart brands are shifting to. But the world is still a little bit stuck in the old paradigm of, oh, but I've got all the data and I can just enrich it and I will just you know, tell the customer what I think they should have. And the world needs to shift away from that because it isn't going to be uh, sufficient to be doing well with what customers expect um, in, you know, today or in the future. That, that is fundamentally, uh, uh, it sounds nuanced in some ways and subtle, but it's fundamentally different what you're talking about here, Geraldine, in terms of data capture versus someone giving you and sharing the data with you on a journey. It's nuanced, but really, really big. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is a, it is nuanced and it is really, really big because you can't, you can't build a relationship with a customer in a flat world. You need that interaction with that customer. A good example is women buying beauty products online, as an example. You know, um, I'm, you know, the, the, so there was a brand that I was interacting with, and unfortunately, I don't have permission to share the brand, but a major brand that said, how can I capture my, my female customer's data? And I said, that's the wrong question. What you need to do is create an experience that's so engaging and so personalized that when you're asking her in that moment, you know, um, for you know, what, what, what are you trying to achieve when your beauty outcome? And let's say she says, well, I've got dry skin and, you know, my skin is very sensitive and I'm looking for something to get rid of fine lines. In conversational AI, that is deep information you're gaining and you can be then bringing back the attributes of the product to be able to give her the beauty outcome she's looking for. And then when she comes back again later on to maybe get the new dewy foundation that she's looking for, you will know all of the context about the fact that she does have dry sensitive skin, that you're going to be recommending um, dewy foundations that fit the, the shade that she's looking for, but also the context of the skin that she has. So you're building this contextual personalized relationship with that consumer online or in the store, and so your business also becomes, uh, you know, COVID-resistant uh, COVID in a sense because you're building this long-term dynamic relationship, and that's that's the power of, the, of modern technology. You can't do that in chatbots, and you can't do that in that old 360-degree view world. And this is the glitch in the armour of some of the traditional systems and tech systems that we have deployed over the last 10 or 15 years uh, to both of you, really, is that this is what we're talking about now is the ability, ability to run that in real time and act on it. There's a real difference here between some of the passive collection systems we've had uh, historically. Was, is that a fair observation from someone who doesn't know too much about this? Yes, so, so the passive collection systems, um, again, there's nothing wrong with taking all the data that you, that you think that you know about a customer, but there's, all of that is history. There's, there's the, big, the big thing that's missing is the data about what I'm doing now and what I want to do next. And so if you can now take the data that, about what I've done before and you can now use that in a smart way so that you're actually sharing that data with me and I'm now giving you more information and more context about myself in terms of what I want to do now and what I want to do next, 
that is actually where the magic and the value is unlocked. And I, I call this in the 4D customer world, unlocking the new hidden value. This is all the value and productivity that marketers and uh, you know heads of uh, chief customer officers and brand sales have never been able to unlock because it was missing. And the, be the, the beautiful thing is that you know the world that we're in now, we have the ability to rapidly deploy those types of technologies now uh, that takes you in from the old old you know 360 degree world into the 4D world. And who's doing that, Geraldine? Who's who's who are some companies, if you can talk about them, or at least categories or case examples of that being done well or starting to be done well? Because I guess it's it's early, is it? Yes, it is. It, I would say that the world is about in the sort of 25% along the way there. So I would say that um, you know there are brands in the world. So a good example of that would be you know there's an amazing uh, bank in uh, in the in the US market, uh, Ten Dot Money, which is using this to bring. Uh, you know, you start the journey in social media, and they're bringing amazing deals uh, around travel together with banking experiences. Um, they're doing that across the U.S. and Mexico. There's another another major brand in the beauty products area that's looking at bringing the attributes of their products and the attributes of uh, of uh, the outcomes, as I mentioned before, that the person is looking to achieve with those products and creating magical beauty experiences. I don't have permission to use their brand name, but you know there there are companies that are already doing that. There's another very good example, which is already in a, a customer success video of uh, Sky uh, Television, which is using this, this type of technology in moving into broadband experiences that are smart, intelligent, and personalized in their homes, creating what they call untelco telco experiences. So they've completely rethought what the experience is. So we've got many, many good examples of this um, um, in, in different industries. Um, there's another good example in a, uh, a fast-moving consumer goods uh, brand, which is going, you know, not only creating, um, you know, these, these experiences B2B, but all the way out direct to consumer. Uh, so there are, there are many, many different examples across different industries um, who are using this type of approach to uh, steal a much on the ones that are still working in the old world. And Sharish, in your conversations in the market, is there a struggle sometimes for, for brands and marketing teams and, and customer-focused uh, uh, exec teams to, to get their head around this? Is there a resistance? Is it about what they need to change or, or, or are they getting it and moving? How would you just see the state of the market at the moment on this? I think it's difficult, like to your point, yes, the market wants to move, the brands want to move, the stakeholders want to make a move, but there are challenges from privacy changes, customer experience, expectation changes, and also technology changes. A lot of that, what Geraldine uh, alluded to, uh, when you look at it, uh, one of the early adapters of from customer identity and customer consent component were uh, media companies. In Australia, you're looking at companies like uh, Channel 7 or ABC or News DNA. And what was the reason behind it? Well, they were the first ones which were impacted by digital uh, disruption. They had to go online, they had to find ways of monetizing information, they had to find ways of catering better content to their customers. And how could they do that? They could do that by getting to know their customer a bit better, right? Now you look at with COVID, the digital disruption. Last year, there were a number of examples across the world where businesses didn't know their customers. They had a CRM record, 
of that customer, but from an individual perspective, who he or she was, what were their preferences, or what were their needs. We had scenarios in Australia or in New Zealand where supermarkets did not know what the requirements of these customers were, which were the ones which were in that vulnerable age group which would need extended shopping uh, hours, for example. So there is a right. lot of uh, requirements from data requirements, from customer requirements, and it's difficult. Being a marketeer in today's world is very difficult. Technology keeps changing every day. I wouldn't even want to know how many uh, solutions are there in the MarTech category and customer data platform, something uh, SAP launched uh, last year on uh, Thanksgiving is another example of that. It's a new generation CRM where the customer feeds in the information rather than an individual or an employee is filling in the information. So progressively capturing that information from that customer is something which is being done in near real time rather than a record which is sitting there static and being executed in batches to email campaigns and mail outs. So Geraldine talked earlier about the, the mindset challenge uh, in and around this. Is, is that what you see in, in sort of terms of marketing teams and exec teams uh, listening and trying to adapt to this stuff? Is it their mindset that's the, the resistance or is it the legacy systems and technology and the investment and the people and the capabilities that, that sort of slow things down? I think it's a combination of everything. As I was saying, like every day a new Martech solutions coming up, every day a new offerings coming up. So they're getting bombarded by information. And to be honest, they're just trying to keep up. Yeah. There's so much changes coming in from a technology perspective. I mentioned legislation. Everybody knows the impact GDPR has done to the way businesses communicate with you online. Now, email is the digital workhorse of marketing, but uh, the way they can communicate to you was completely transformed because of that legislation. Right. Now, that is something which is impacting how campaigns are being run, how information is being collected, how information is being shared. But then we are also talking about negative customer experience because of data being siloed. So you can look at examples of businesses which have numerous brands and numerous touch points to which they're engaging with the customer and that information not being uh, coordinated. And that also is causing an negative experience. I can give a classic example where businesses where they are having numerous transactions going on with one consumer at a time and they are not able to keep up. So he or she is one order number, one order number, one order number rather than John Smith or Jane Smith with three orders. And that's simple expectations around that is also causing negative experience. Uh, Geraldine, uh, in and around some of the stuff that Suresh, um, Mr. Suresh is, is, is talking about um, is is this sort of notion of getting uh, the consent and getting, uh, you know, meeting, I guess, customer ex- experience expectations. And, and you're wary, I think, of some tech stacks out there that are, have their, interestingly, have their roots in marketing rather than sort of, a, I guess, a gold standard consent that's aligned to, to benchmark regimes like Europe's GDPR. Now, what do you mean by this in terms of a marketing sort of uh, tech stack or consent system versus uh, something different? What, what, what is going on there? Yeah, well, we recently went through um, with a client in, in the US market who was running an ecosystem. And um, what they were looking for is if, if you start your journey in travel and then you're, st- you know, you're signing up for banking and then you're, got, you're also now providing insurance deals, you will need to get contextual consent to share the data that you've learned about that customer 
to give it to, say, the insurer for the purposes of getting a quote for insurance, and that would be giving a daily deal. Right. When we looked at um, competing products to uh, products, for example, like uh, customer data, platform customer data cloud from SAP, other brands, um, they also had so-called CDC and CDPs. And even though they had the same three-letter acronyms, when you looked at the, the actual requirements underneath, they said they did consent. But their consent was, I can click once to the marketer that I have your consent to use or share my data. But actually, that is not the gold standard. The gold standard, in fact, is a thing called contextual consent, then mm. particularly important in conversational AI. So when our AI system is now getting me the insurance quote, in the moment, we can ask the consumer, do I have consent to share your data with XYZ insurer for the purposes of getting this quote? And at that moment, the consumer can say, yes, you do. And that particular product then keeps track of that consent receipt. And I also have the power to revoke that consent as a consumer. So therefore, I can trust what happens to my data. And some of the, the ones that, that have the same three-letter acronyms of CDC, CDP that come from a, an old, more of a traditional American marketing background, they do not have that capability, and they certainly don't have it out of the box. It requires, you know, them to add many more third-party you know, products to it to get to get there. So not all CDCs and CDPs are created equal, even though they have the same three-letter acronyms. It really is important. And that, I guess, what you're talking about there sort of orbits around this idea in GDPR of purpose uh, and what you're, you're, what you're collecting, the purpose you're collecting information for. This is a, a real-time, almost permission-based system, what you're talking about here. Absolutely. And, and that's why we call it contextual consent. Really important. You take it as a good example of that would be in the pharmacy, uh, pharmacy use case. Um, I spent time with a bunch of lawyers of a pharmacy who were actually stopping a particular pharma, pharma, pharmacy company from innovating any further because they're terrified about what could happen with data. Um, but with, the, with contextual consent, you can now ask the consumer, do I have your consent to be able to manage your prescriptions, all right, to be able to you know, send you reminders, conversational AI can do that. And you could also then say, do I also, uh, you know, am I able to um, uh, recommend to you um, other um, supplements, you know, which could be, um, you know, vitamins and other things that are, you know, that, that would help, you know, in your, boosting your immune system, um, you know, so you can get consents for those. And that way you're actually removing some of the things that lawyers worry about every day in terms of liability because we've been quite explicit and contextual in getting a consent to, to provide a set of recommendations to help me get a better healthcare outcome because I do care about vitamin C and zinc in the times of COVID, you know, and, and so getting information from pharmacies on that would be very handy. Sharisha, this is where I think your your argument too is that uh, a, a lot of the uh, the technology that um, SAP has invested in uh, in recent years is born out of European uh, roots, and therefore there is some sort of more robust requirements and and delivery on all of this stuff we're talking about in terms of consent. Is is that the case? And and or is there something different going on here with with, with what you're talking about with your tech stack? No, definitely agree with that. I think a good example would be when you look at customer data platforms, a number of these offerings in the market today are an evolution from your digital marketing platforms. So it's very market heavy. It's a marketeer driven uh, product stack pretty much. Whereas the customer data platform we built last year was ground up a standalone 
product and a SaaS multi-cloud talent offer, tenant offering, which uh, is all about purpose-driven. So when you are working on ingesting a data record into the platform, one of the first things you have to do as a user is define the purpose of this data. What are you going to do with this data? What's the use of that data? That helps us build that uh, point to which Geraldine was alluding to, to make sure that there is that transparency of the collection of the information, but also from an execution perspective as a use perspective. So if you're going to segment a customer or you're going to enrich their profile with certain additional information from other touch points, this purpose-driven mandate helps make sure that uh, we are a in compliance with legislation all around the world, which is always a difficult task to keep up with. Yeah. If a whack-a-mole exercise on that front, right. but also that transparency for the customer too, that what is the purpose for which that data was collected and how it is being used. Uh, Geraldine, I imagine even as a board director, you, you would see this as, as quite a, a, a big area around risk or compliance and risk. And if, if, if companies don't get this right in the next couple of years, there could become some quite serious fallout and damage to companies and brands and, and the customer base if these sort of protocols aren't, uh, aren't met. Yeah, I think that's um, data privacy, data compliance, absolutely critical. So that's that's the one side of it. The other side of it is that you will, you know, if you look at the demise of third-party cookies, uh, and most companies are now rushing around saying, how do I capture first-party data? And again, even that is the wrong question. The, 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 even the noun captures implies that you're, you know, coming along to grab something from me. It's a mousetrap. Yeah, it's a mousetrap. Like I'm spending most of my time hiding away from brands online today because you know that they're using invisible uh, algorithms. Even now, on you know, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or anything, like be, be wary of where you tap because otherwise you get chased by it for days on end afterwards. So, so I think the the issue is is that is that you need. Um, in fact, I wrote about this on uh, LinkedIn today, which has got a lot of followings in, a, in an article um, that I republished from the Sydney Morning Herald on the weekend, which talks about this because even AI is at, at a crossroads. Uh, are we going to use AI to stalk and track you even more so, in which case we're going to tell you how to think, how to, you know, what you can read and and, uh, and what you can consume? Or are we going to make your customer an active, um, you know, participant in the getting the outcome um, and so that you're naturally sharing more about yourself with a brand? And that second path is a far more productive, better long-term, you know, customer lifetime value than the first path where you spend half your time dodging behind the bushes and, you know, giving fake information or not clicking on things because you know you're going to be pursued across the the internet and uh, so your data can be captured. No one wants to feel that way. Mm. To your point, there's regulatory compliance, but there's also an improved customer experience in what you're talking about doing. Shirish, you've got some interesting data that's come out. You did some consumer research around this. And I think one of the things that I saw, I think it's called Heart Matter. Matters, the study you did, one of the, the figures that sort of got my eye was 74% of people in your study uh, said companies tell them they only obtain private personal data to serve them better. That's the claim. But only 30%, 37% of people, customers, consumers actually see that happening in their real world, in their real life in, in regards to what companies are saying. Talk through a couple of those findings and the implications for that. What does it mean? Great question. I think uh, Geraldine again alluded to that. What the customers want is, you know, brands that are responsive and offer choices and brands that respect privacy and 
brands who for whom uh, the way they are interacting with the customers, you know, uh, secure and private data, and that they do not share it with third parties and of, are providing that transparency of how is that data going to be used. Now, something which falls in through is businesses are changing dramatically in their operations. Now, if you look back on it, all your parcels used to come through Australia Post. Now, that has changed. There are a lot of other career parties there which, with which businesses are interacting with and partnering in pretty much day-to-day operational matters because changes are coming through from border closures to transit ac- activities, etc. But uh, this information was not captured initially, that how that information would be shared between the consumer and the business and these new partners that are being brought upon. It becomes a bit of a challenge to act upon, and that's the point which Geraldine was alluding to earlier, that businesses are finding themselves uh, straightjackets at not being able to innovate or not being able to serve the customers better. And this is where the drop between the customer's expectation versus the customer's experience coming through. Customers are happy to share information. Customers are happy to have a negative experience if the businesses are transparent as to what went wrong or why they are trying to do something. And this is where it's very important to be able to communicate rather than adopt uh, abandoned cards leads to uh, you're reading a newspaper article and then there's ads being flashed over there or on a different device or recommendations coming through on Facebook. So it's that third party cookie uh, that, for example, is something where, again, technology from your manufacturers in this case, like uh, the ad blocking and the other initiatives that Apple is driving is where those changes are coming through. And consumers, as uh, Geraldine alluded to, again, becoming more and more inhibited to share that information with the businesses. And this is where one of the feature functionality that we offer from Customer Data Cloud within SAP called Progressive Profiling, where you don't have to ask all the information on day dot from your users. You can, over numerous touch points, numerous interactions, you can get that specific information that you need to service better or cater better. So day one, when you're onboarding that individual onto uh, a service or onto an offering, you can start with very basic information which you need to do what you're offering to that customer at that stage. But as your relationship evolves, when you're going through the conversion funnel, then you can ask for additional information on the second visit, on the third visit, on the fifth visit, or in time spent, etc., you can get that additional information from that user and then kind of cater them on the back of that. Right, so it's almost like an organic build of customer information then, right? Exactly. And again, to that point, it's real-time, it's transparent, it's honest, and then using uh, solutions from something like my wave, giving that, enriching that information. So going back to that piece as to why we are collecting that information and what are we doing with that information. So both parties, the business and the consumer, sees the value in it. Which companies, to both of you actually, which companies or sectors do you think are most uh, advanced in, in, in moving this way? Is there, is there some standouts or is it just comes down to the leadership of company X in, in, in industry Y? Does it, there's, no, there's no sort of uh, pattern here. Oh, maybe maybe I can comment on that. I, I'm seeing it in in pockets across many sectors. So I'm seeing it in banking, right? Um, because it's it's actually mostly sectors that are being disrupted already. Uh, media uh, and telco. Um, I'm seeing it in fast moving consumer goods. Just start just starting because most of them are moving direct to consumer as well as B two B. Right. Um, and retail. And in fact, what's driven that mostly in retail has been COVID. So COVID has accelerated it. And a few government agencies, the Singapore government, 
uh, are a standout in it, in that. But of, but of course, everyone expects the Singapore government to be innovative. Yes. Um, so 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 they're another they're another standout uh, in in uh, in that space uh, that 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 I, that I have observed. But I think it, it is a mindset. It's culture. It's the culture of the board. It's the culture of the leadership. And also how innovative the CMO is, and also the chief customer officer. Mm. And once you once you then start to um, the, the, going back to your point, um, I think Paul on the nuances. Once you explain to them the nuances as to why the attributes of products um, inter interrelating to the attributes of the outcome that the consumer is wanting to achieve. Once you've got the detailed um, the, those two sets of data, it becomes a beautiful virtuous circle. You can truly build smart relationships with your consumers. And uh, as I said, the business case ROI on that. There's a lot of work that's been done by Aberdeen Research, and this is a paper that SAP commissioned outside of the one that we're referring to, to in today's podcast which actually maps out all the value that gets unlocked. And it's very impressive. And we've got brands that now are unlocking that value. There are a couple of airlines in the world that are also moving along that path because they know they need to emerge smarter, leaner, and more efficient and more um, you know, pandemic uh, resilient. So, so we're seeing it in, in many different industries. Just, just on that, for an easy way to conceptualise what you're talking about, Geraldine, in an airline context, what does it mean they will be doing differently to what they have done applying this approach? Fantastic question. All right. So what you would do differently is that imagine a system now where my conversational AI is acting like my personal travel agent, regardless of whether I'm booking business travel or personal travel, because personal travel and business travel, my profile will be quite different in terms of my preferences and who I'm traveling with. Mm. Imagine me never having to continue to be like Groundhog Day, keep trying to find the right flights. If I, you know, if I am, I'm regularly go to Melbourne and I normally don't have that travel pattern, all I have to do is literally hit a button and it says, are you going to stay in the same place? You know, similar flight, yes, bam, do it. Based on my preferences, get me my seat. So that would be the first thing. The second thing is I turn up to the airport. I'm known. I don't need to go and touch any kiosks. In fact, there are no low-touch travel in this. Everything is automated. You know who I am. Um, you have already got my, ident my identity. You know I'm vaccinated for COVID. You know I'm a regular traveler. I don't need to go and stand on those other long lines. I should be able to just go through because you do not want in the new pandemic, you know, post, we will never be in a post-COVID world. You need to make everything smart and seamless. So I can literally go to the gate and I can have my favorite bagel uh, delivered to me at my gate as I get on the plane because we're not going to do in-flight um, uh, you know, catering necessarily anymore on some of the short-haul flights. So everything is smart, everything is seamless, and everything is personalized. And, and so then you, you are actually reducing humans, you're reducing number of interactions, you're reducing friction. Everything becomes easy for the passenger and it becomes much lower cost for the airline, just as a simple example. That can be done today between uh, MyWave and SAP. Quite a compelling argument there. And let me, whatever airline that is, can you let me know who they are? I'm going that way. Um, Sharish, and I'll go to both of you um, for the, to wrap this up. In, in terms of the, the, the next 12 months, what are the hotspots for marketers and brands? Where are the challenges and the opportunities? We've covered a lot of them uh, in our conversation, but just to snap it up into a, into a succinct um, summary, Sharish, what, what should marketers and brands be really thinking hard about and looking at in the next year? I think it's very easy to say for me, sitting on my side of the fence, it's very difficult to, for a marketeer or the stakeholders, but it's about empathy. It's about trying to understand what the consumer is going through and what the consumer is expecting. There's a lot of moving parts at the moment in the markets when you're thinking about 
people trying to get a vaccine, people vaccinated, wanting to get freedom. There's a number of challenges that individuals are facing in day-to-day life. So when they're interacting with the businesses, where they're order is, where their parcel is, where their uh, subscription is, these little things which in day-to-day we would not have worried about that much, but now it can be critical. So to communicate, to be transparent and have empathy with the consumer and try to put yourself, again, very easy to say, very cliche, to put yourself in their shoe and try to understand and help and communicate would be my recommendation or what I see would be the change in the uh, coming days. Just quickly, uh, in terms of if you've got a, a market or a company that's got a, a certain tech stack and a system of, and some systems, what you're talking about here, is it a big, big overhaul to, to achieve what you're talking about with, with MyWave and some of the, 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 the offers that uh, SAP is doing in terms of its platforms? That's a great question. No, again, it's not. It's not. You can have uh, something like a customer data cloud on your websites and your mobile apps within a matter of hours and days. These are public-facing uh APIs and public-facing documentation which you can use and put some JavaScript on your website to start that conversation and start that engagement with the customer. So it's not the traditional mindset of an SAP year-long project. It's something which you can get out in a matter of hours and days and start using and making that shift. So it's uh, baby steps. And as I mentioned earlier in our conversation, you can enrich that relationship over a period of time organically doing the interaction with the customer. Geraldine, to you, um, before we wrap up, is what what for you are those big uh, those big hotspots for the next twelve months for marketers and brands? And I also at some point just talk to the. I think it's fascinating what you talk about with the direct to consumer and e commerce big shift that's happening as a result of COVID and what that may mean uh, for brands and marketers as well. But I've doubled the questions there, so sorry about that complexity. We love it. Um, but the big the big uh, hotspots next twelve months, do you think? Well, I think the hotspots are probably related to that second point you raised. So I think that COVID has accelerated the need for us to build intimate, um, personalized relationships digitally with customers. Uh, You know, most of us can't get into uh, stores easily at the moment. And even later on, our behaviors have, have changed. So I think that brand marketers and chief customer officers Um, can embrace these types of technologies and move from their 360-degree views into four-dimensional interactions. Uh, And to Suresh's point of view, you know, you can deploy these technologies now as another layer. It's another smart, personalized layer that you can now build into your existing tech stacks. You don't have to reinvent the world. You can deploy them quickly and unlock enormous new value and make your business resilient, no matter whether there's a pandemic lockdown on or not. It does not matter anymore. You can offer the same amazing, you know, personal shopper style experiences or personal beauty consultant style experiences or, you know, personal travel consultant style experiences. All of those can be enabled in a digital world uh, or in your physical store when stores are allowed to be open again. So um, it's it's an exciting world we're in. And uh, the good news is that technology companies like SAP and MyWave have been working uh, tirelessly on these. And um, we, we're privileged to work with some of the biggest brands on the planet um, and we're made to, to bring this to life. Well, it might finally happen, Geraldine, because I have heard it for at least 25 years. I used to cover direct marketing in the 90s, and so we, we might actually be getting to where uh, the holy grail here finally. We do. I, I call it the holy trinity, actually. <laughs> so what I would call it is, is that you've got a combination of uh, of uh, the, the, the customer data cloud, the customer data platform, and myweb.ai unlocks the 4D customer and it can work with any of your data. It doesn't matter if you've got SAP, Salesforce or anything else that you've already uh, you've already deployed. 
we can make use of that data and and uh, and create these trusted dynamic interactions that will unlock value that your enterprise has not seen before. One final cheeky question to you, Geraldine, is, is when you talk to marketers and companies about the end of the 360 view of the customer, do you get looks of aghast or like, oh my God, here we go again, I've got to change up? What, what happens in the receptivity of them, you, you challenging that uh, that sort of approach? Because it actually starts to get them to think differently. If you if you approach the world of the th- of 360, it's a bit like a flat earth society. If everyone said the earth was still flat, where would we be in a uh, galaxy of round planets? And so to me, the 360 degree view was great. And I've been involved in building CRM systems uh, before. Uh, it has served a purpose. It doesn't mean that data goes away, but it is not sufficient to create these smart uh, uh, interactive experiences going forward. You need to layer in additional technology to enable you to unlock that new value. You can't take practices which have been around for 15 years and expect that they're still fit for purpose in the next five. Really interesting conversation. Uh, Sharesh, Geraldine, thanks for joining. Great convo. Um, I look forward to catching up really to see how this gets implemented because we're we've got the right we've got the right idea now. People have got to companies have got to do this stuff right. Yeah, thank you very much, Paul. And uh, we've got some great case studies if anyone's interested to. Uh, to understand more. Where do you get those from, Geraldine? Ah, from uh, SAP and MyWay. There we go. Thanks for joining and stay safe. This MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.